Welcome to Games We Grew Up With, a podcast that relies on nostalgia and a geeky sensibility. Each episode, we'll talk about one of the video games that left an impression on us as kids, put on some rose-tinted glasses and reminisce about it, then replay the game and see how it's held up over the years. This episode, we'll be journeying to find the espers and talk about Final Fantasy VI for the Super Nintendo. I'm Chris. And I'm Katie. We're full on MP and have warmed up our opera voices, so let's talk some games. Let's do it. We're on episode 35. Yay! We're on to another Final Fantasy game. Yay! And it's really exciting. It's I going finally to- finished this one he for the did. first time in like three games. And it's going to be an extra long episode. Probably. And not just because I'm exhausted for many reasons. <laughs> and also not because we actually have a Rose segment for this episode. What? It's our first Final Fantasy episode with a Rose segment. So that's really exciting. All of this is just lots of fun new things. We're getting down in the generations of Final Fantasy to the games Chris and I actually played some. So it's going to be an extra long episode. We're going to have a lot to talk about. And we're going to have a good time. Speak for yourself. Ha! In other random Final Fantasy news, I wanted to bring up an article that producer Kyle had found where Square officially released the information of how much a ticket to Loveless would cost in Final Fantasy VII. That they went into the details of the play in Final Fantasy VII, it's called Loveless, in the original game. And it's became kind of, they spun it up into a bigger deal in the remaster. Is it remake? Remaster? I don't know. It's definitely a remake. Not a remaster. Remake, yeah, in the remake. Yeah, and in Crisis Core, apparently, it was a big deal as well. So they actually went and calculated how many rupees it would take to go to get a ticket. What game series are you talking about? I was going to say rupees. Gil. Gil. Come Holy on. moly. My brain is clearly not functioning properly. Yeesh. How many gold rings? <laughs> to be fair, I kept getting that you. wrong. So how much gill it would cost to go to a showing of Loveless? And that just makes me laugh that that's how deep the lore is getting in the Final Fantasy series. Is they're like, this is how much this theater show would cost. I don't remember that at all. It was very minor in the original game. Yeah, it was just like a poster on the wall. But it's oh. like been spun out into this whole thing because Crisis Core made a bigger deal of it. And then in the remake, Jesse talks about being in the theater and how she was a part of it. And they make a much mm. bigger deal about it in the remake. And so people apparently were asking, quote unquote, how much it would cost. But it made me laugh. I still have not played the remake because I'm terrible. Shame. Ooh, you'll have to definitely play it before the... Uh, I can't expect you to play both the original game and the remake. No, never mind. <laughs> With all that said, I think it's time to transition to this episode's video game trope of the day. Trope of the day! Chris is so tired. (laughs) (laughs) Trope in a box. You're spoiling it, producer Kyle. (laughs) So, Chris, what's this episode's trope? Of the day. Of the day. This episode's trope of the day is a monster in a box, or chess monster, or a mimic. I think that's the the D&D name for it a lot of times, yeah? So, for the definition of this trope, it's this, when an enemy or a hazard has disguised itself to look like something positive, like an ally, a save point, or the, like, classic example that's named after, a treasure chest. Mm Mm-hmm. 
for me, mimics are specifically when the treasure chest itself or the object, whatever you're end up fighting itself becomes the monster. So it's like a living box yeah, or a living object. Whereas a monster in the box is like in Final Fantasy, there's a dragon in a box. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Dark Cloud literally had mimics. That yeah. was an enemy. Mario RPG, I think, had actual mimics. They did. That's right. I don't know if they called them mimics. No, uh, now, but it now was, I'm trying to. It was the idea of a treasure chest being a yeah. uh, a monster. So yeah. this trope in particular is so cruel, in my opinion, to longtime <laughs> RPG fans because we are trained to open every single box we find. Right. So we can know we shouldn't open every box because there might be something there. We'll do it anyway. We don't care. <laughs> and so we end up fighting monsters in the box. Most of the time, there's there's a good item, at least in the Final Fantasy series. Anytime there's a monster in a box, it'll give you a good item. It's true. You at least get the benefit of having a really good item. In other games, like in Dark Souls, those mimics are awful and just eat you, and they're just horrible to beat, and you get, like, nothing out of it. Yeah. So thanks, Dark Souls. Dark Cloud is the same way. I think that's the first time I can... Well, no, because clearly in Mario RPG they have them. Which I don't think they gave you good items either. But. No, I don't think so either. But, I mean, other games, of course. So Final Fantasy II was apparently the first Final Fantasy game to do it. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't in the first, the original. It started in Final Fantasy II. Kingdom Hearts had monsters in a box. Chrono Trigger had fake save points. Oh, I forgot about that. Which is a jerk move. Again, yeah. RPG player. Say, I'm, I'm, I'm notoriously bad at saving as often as possible, so that would be yeah. awful to me. Another example that they kind of mentioned is like in Mario Kart, you have the question mark box, the fake prize boxes, essentially. I feel like it's in that yeah, same category. They, yeah, they were like inverted item. Like yeah. you couldn't really tell. Yeah. The upside down question mark instead of writes it up. So you can tell yeah. if you're looking close. In the older games, the newer games, they've made it much more obvious what the bombs are. But in the old games, it used to be like, yeah, like it, it looked like the box. It was very hard to tell if you're going fast enough and not paying attention. Right. I don't think they had those. It was 64 might have been the only game with those. I So right? I couldn't remember. I know 64 for sure had it. From what I was reading, they might have had something similar in earlier games as well. But I don't think they appeared again after 64. It started in Mario Kart 64. In Double Dash, they still had them, but they were red, so you could tell them apart more easily. Double Dash. That is a game that I slept on. And boo, they made it obvious. The whole point yeah. of 64 was they blended and it was amazing. Right. You just, you'd let it go right as you went through one. It was perfect. Mm-hmm. Another one example, uh, you and producer Lisa will know a better example is I saw that Diablo and Diablo 2 has destructible barrels with possibly enemy skeletons inside instead of loot. Is that pretty common? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's, it's very common. Yeah. Probably like one in one in 10, one in five. Oh, that's awful. Barrels will either explode or have a skeleton. That's in them. really high. Yeah. I mean, it's not like they're it not does hard. a ton of damage, but it's yeah, just like still. it's one of those like, oh god, come on. Because there's hundreds of barrels in yeah. that game. This popped up in a, in Doom. There was a certain level where there was a group of megaspheres, which is where you get two hundred percent armor and health refill, and instead it turns into a monster with a machine gun. That seems like a jerk move. Again. I don't remember that at all. Either. I don't remember that, but I read oh, it and I was like, that sounds move. right. I was yeah. like, it's not something you expect in an, a first person shooter, but doom. Yeah. Echo the dolphin. I do remember this where some of the clans yeah. did poison instead of health. Come on, Echo. Come on, Echo. <laughs> Echo, please. Echo, please. Please, Echo. Echo, please. Echo, please. 
<laughs> Sorry, how do you say it? And if you don't understand that reference, please check out our YouTube channel. <laughs> Another one that made me laugh, besides there's so many examples of this. There's Legend of Zelda has it, Mario RPG, as we said, Super Metroid has an example. Um, Pokemon made me laugh because you used to find like Pokeballs on the ground and they normally had items or anything, but every once in a right. while it would be like an electrode. Right. <laughs> You're like, ah! Yeah, that one. Or a Voltorb. Which was an uh, upside down electrode. Those jerks would pop out of item <laughs> things. A couple of maybe not other pop culture examples of this outside of, of course, this is a classic D&D thing. So this absolutely right. comes from the fantasy genre. D&D in particular, this is mimics were a thing, are, are a thing, I should say, in D&D. Right. Another example I could think in pop culture wise was possibly in Hunger Games Mockingjay. They have the bombs that go off the first time. and Or no, they, they drop aid packets and people think they're aid. So they run at them. And then they explode, and then and then people think go to run at them to save the people who got hurt, and then they explode again. I don't. Did I? It's at the oh, very very end of the series. book. That's it's why. At the very, yeah. Spoilers. It's literally like one of the last things to happen in Mockingjay. That sounds terrible. Yeah, no, it's awful. War crime type awful. Yeah, because it well, was tar- I, it targets the it, EMTs it, in particular, like the help the, the the people the healers in particular. Yeah. I- and it it also made me think of uh, in in Full Metal Jacket, where Cowboy finds a teddy bear and picks it up, and then it's tied to a grenade. Oh God, yeah. Oh God, yeah. So some dark examples in our pop culture references. Well, you know, when it's actual people, of course, yeah. it's going to be dark. <laughs> Sometimes you get misogyny. <laughs> and other times you get Masamune. <laughs> God. But it, it popped up everywhere. That's what we're trying to say. We're long story short. <laughs> mimics, monster in the box, chest monsters when I'd never heard before, but that's what it was called online. Chest monster sounds weird. sounds weird. Right? So monster <laughs> in a box. That's why monster in a box was this episode's video game trope of the day. Trope of the day. So it's time to talk about the game of the episode. Katie, what can you tell me about Final Fantasy 3? 6. Well, 6. Three. So. 6 3. Final Fantasy 6 was released on the SNES in April 1994 in Japan. And it was released as Final Fantasy 3 because they skipped a bunch, as we've discussed in earlier episodes, in October in North America. So it came out. Uh, quite a few months later in North America than it did in Japan. It was developed, of course, by Square. Critical response. Amazing. Unsurprising. Surprise. Critically acclaimed. It was the top-selling game of 1994 in Japan because of how late it came out in the U.S. It was only out for the final quarter in the U.S. It was not the best-selling of the year. It was about the eighth best-selling cartridge game of the year. Mm-hmm. Even then, they said that Square wasn't exactly pleased with those numbers in the U.S., but it just sold so incredibly well in Japan, it kind of didn't matter. And it was critically acclaimed that they were kind of okay with it. Well, that's why they don't release games in the final quarter of a year. Yeah. <laughs> anyway... So. Anyway, the point is, it didn't sell as well in the U.S., partially mm. because of of when it sold, but just right. for whatever reason. Again, I think the confusion surrounding Final Fantasy 1, 2, 3 versus 6 yeah. and the confusion around that, very confusing. Actual ratings. Our favorite Famitsu scored it a 37 out of 40, <laughs> making it one of their two highest ranking games of 1994, along with Ridge Racer, <laughs> which is hilarious when you think about yeah. it that way. 
The four reviewers of Electronic Gaming Monthly gave it a unanimous 9 out of 10, so 36 out of 40 in total. It was their mm-hmm. game of the month, and they commented that it was set the new standard for excellence in RPGs. So again, both Eastern and Western media loved this game. It was very, mm-hmm. very well received, and this is on the initial run. Retrospectively, it has, of course, done even better most of the time and people look back on it even higher but in general the the original scoring of the game was a 94 percent aggregated score uh, on game rankings which is pretty incredible uh it was re-released initially in the u.s on gba game boy advanced that was the right. first time it really came out again in the u.s and that got 91s across the board and people loved it so it was a really big deal even when it was being re-released and all the ratings are really really high across the board it's it's actually the lowest rating i saw for the game was of the pixel remaster version and that was an 88 (laughs) which is still incredible yeah i think just expectations are so high now for these pixel well yeah that's fair but just again of course really critically acclaimed people loved this game this is as we kind of discussed before, this is one of the games that really brought it to Western attention. I think as we, we really think seven solidified that Yeah, six is really what started getting that attention and bringing kind of prominence to the name final fantasy, ironically enough. Well, when we did our, our final fantasy overview total, Mm -hmm. we had that list of the, the highest rated final fantasies. And this was this was at the top. I'm pretty this sure. one, like every single list we would find, yeah. it was pretty much the a- out number of one game. All of Final Fantasy games. Yeah. So even now, again, retrospectively, in t- uh, like back when it came out, it's it it is a very well received game. So yeah. some fun facts about this game: it only took a year to develop this game. That that blows my mind every time we talk about these short development cycles but like but this is this different game. this is different than like the second mega man which is basically the first mega man or right or sonic 2 like those yeah. are not easy to do i'm not downplaying those games but this is a this was so exponentially larger than any other game that they had ever done before uh, that was actually the biggest thing is they actually stayed within budget and within time they didn't mean it was easy, according to theirs. So they they talk about the development was not easy by the end. There was a heavy crunch at the end, but they really struggled with fitting all the information on the cartridges. Like oh, I bet. that's how massive this game was, and that's why event this was actually the last cartridge game, of course, for Final Fantasy. They switched to CD after this because they just could not fit yeah. all of the data they wanted onto cartridges anymore. I want to say they they divided up a lot of the work. Mm-hmm. Um, so like each of the characters had like a dedicated party. Yeah. And I think that there were just, it was just a bigger development team on this game than I think we'd had on any of the previous Final Fantasies. So on previous Final Fantasies, you know, we were talking about a 20 person team. This was a 50 to 60 person team. Like they they still got it done in a year. Got it done in a year. It's incredible. (laughs) Incredible. On a cartridge where you can't have a day zero patch. Right? And, and <laughs> that is why, to be fair, there were still a lot of glitches in this game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, other fun facts. This is the only 2D Final Fantasy game where the where the field sprites and the p- battle sprites look the same. And when I said that, I was like, huh, I didn't even think about I never, that. Yeah. But I it is. I don't think I ever thought about that. Interesting. Isn't that funny? So yeah. that's how they saved time. They didn't create a second set of sprites. Uh, it's fair. Uh, I didn't have to worry about how those were interacted differently. They were the exact but, same. It's the only 2D game that that happened. So this was, we touched on this in the Final Fantasy V episode, mm-hmm. but Final Fantasy VI used that Mode 7 
graphics capability, it used it a lot more than 5 and 4. So, like, all the overworld stuff, all of it, not just the airship stuff, because that was that was the big thing in Final Fantasy V, the airship used this Mode 7 graphics. This time, anytime you were in the overworld, you were using this Mode 7 graphics, which made the world much more 3D-like when you're navigating around. Mm-hmm. So that that's really cool. It was noticeable in this game of, as you're doing the overworld, the way the world oh, shifted yeah. was, was that and style. And it wrapped around. Mm-hmm. Especially because you could go so fast yeah. in this game. <laughs> exactly. And you, you go real fast. <laughs> Another kind of a fun fact I bring up of how this game is different than some of the other games. In the PlayStation Classic versions of all of these early games, so they redid them, put them on the PlayStation. We've played quite a few of those versions as we've been replaying them. Uh, yeah. They added a lot of FMVs to make them like seem higher graphics and higher like quality. Mm-hmm. The funny thing about this particular game's FMVs, so neither of us actually played that version this time, but I was I kept seeing images of characters that just looked weird. <laughs> and I was trying to figure out why, and it's because... They had the longtime contributor for art was still uh, Yoshitaka Amano. He was still the one who did all the concept art, the beautiful, beautiful concept art you come, you've come to associate with Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. But those don't always look exactly like they turn out. And in fact, the nice. sprites in this game in particular changed quite a bit from the original art. So Tara mm-hmm. got her green hair as a sprite. She was a blonde in the original concept art. Huh. So whoever made the FMVs based them all on the concept art and not on the oh. sprites. <laughs> so a lot of the FMVs in that version, and so you'll see them it's online. Like, who is this? Is like there's a blonde Tara running around. Uh. There was like a really weird Celeste during the opera scene. It's really oh, funny. <laughs> so that's kind of another. It's like when we're looking at the character art, that stood out to me. I was like, where are these images coming from? Oh, <laughs> that's where. Uh-huh. And as another kind of one of the last facts I wanted to put is I alluded to a little bit earlier how Square had to switch over to CDs at this point after Final Fantasy VI because there was so much data. And because of that, this is the last Final Fantasy game that came out on Nintendo. From one through six, they've all been on the main Nintendo series and Nintendo wasn't going to CD. Notoriously, they had the CDI issues and they had all the issues because they were going to work with PlayStation and that like Sony was going to build them the CD drive, they decided they didn't want to do it. So Sony's like, well, screw you. We're going to make our own then. Uh, And that's how it it evolved and actually created, obviously it soured the relationship between Nintendo and Square when Mm -hmm. Square's like, sorry, we're going to CD. Like, bye. And so this was the last Final Fantasy game to appear on a Nintendo system until 2003. That's crazy. Um, So from 94 to 2003, there were really no Final Fantasy games. And now in in 2003, it was one of the, the side games I forget which one of the side games that popped up on Nintendo. And this doesn't include some of the GBAs and stuff that already existed. So, like, redoing yeah. Five Fantasy VI on the Game Boy Advance doesn't count, in my opinion. Right, right, right. The, fir- the next time that a mainline Final Fantasy game would appear on a Nintendo system was when Final Fantasy VII through twelve were released in the Switch store only a couple years ago. <laughs> That's how long it took for the main Final Fantasy series to ba- end up back on Nintendo after it started there. All the first six were there. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy how like cr- clearly the relationship was quite soured at that point because they just didn't... The, the way Nintendo developed their consoles, as we've talked about, just isn't the same way that some of the other industries did and Final Fantasy right. wanted those higher ends and so they just couldn't handle it. And so it took until the Switch, their most modern console, that they even got the old games back on. Yeah, them. So it's crazy. kind of fascinating. The the only last thing I was going to add, we sometimes talk about our speed runs, and this one 
RPG speedruns always make us roll our eyes, but this one just kills me a little bit inside. The speedrun for any percentage done glitchless in Final Fantasy VI is four hours, 59 minutes, and 45 seconds. It's insane. Set a year like, ago. <laughs> and and there's different, like, there's so many different speedruns. Like, uh, one, of our, one of our friends on Twitch works on his his big thing is the kefka narsh yes. speed run which i had no idea that like what that meant until i got there mm-hmm. and then he pointed it out it's like yeah this is the end of the speed run i was like oh you're fighting kefka at narsh at narsh this yeah. makes so much sense <laughs> i was just yeah. like these are just gobbledygook words <laughs> Until you really think about it again. Yeah. I will say there is a pixel remaster, one that's already been set, and it's about 20 minutes faster. So that kind of just shows how much quicker it is to work in the new remaster. The pixel remaster, yeah. it's about 20 minutes faster than the normal speed run. So that's my, the last fun fact I had about Final Fantasy VI. A lot of, lot of interesting stuff. There's a lot of development stories that I'm sure we could have gotten into. But again, there's, this is already going to be a really long episode, guys. So I just yeah. jump into <laughs> just a couple of fun things here or there. But I think it's a great time to play that Chiacarina of Time, head back to the past, and hear what past Katie and Chris had to think about this game before we had a chance to play this game and before we understood what Kefka Narsh meant. Mostly Katie. Mostly me. So <laughs> play that Chiacarina of Time. Let's go. So that music means we are in the rose-tinted glasses segment of our podcast, and... We're doing a rose section for a Final Fantasy game for the first time. We've caught up to ourselves. We've caught up. Kinda. Sort of. <laughs> I feel like maybe more for you than for me. So uh, to qualify this, at least for me, this was not a game I played as a child. I played it in college. No, I did not play it as a child either. I, I Even at friends' houses, I don't think I played it. No, this is definitely one I, I first encountered in college. Now, yeah depressingly at this point that's almost you know a decade and a half in the past (laughs) at this point because we're old but it it was not really a childhood game but we figured we'd do a rose section for this one anyway because we did have some vague memories of the game yeah Uh, forewarning our final fantasy 7 episode will be probably four times in length (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna be like gosh that's probably gonna be a two-parter the, we did 100%, pl- or at least I 100% played this game in the past, and therefore it deserved a rose section. I mean, I played it. I played it at the same time once we got to college. I own a legal copy of it now. Yes, we own multiple legal copies of it. Well, I do. I have the PlayStation version as well as the classic yeah, version. Yeah, I do have the PlayStation version. And hopefully we'll get the Pixel Remaster. So we'll possibly have three different versions by the time this comes out. But anyways, let's actually talk about the game. Chris, what do you remember about Final Fantasy VI? Not much. Magitech? I remember that was a big thing because it was was a big deal when when they found the girl with no name because I already forget her name. Tara. It's Tara. Don't don't remember. Oh, I do remember that now that you say that. You do remember it. Because she could actually use magic. She was an esper. 
Yes. And Espers. This is the first time, because I feel yes. like Espers come up again in later Final Fantasy games, but this is our first. Well, definitely it was a huge part of this game was Espers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember I played the opening sequence like a dozen times because I keep trying to start over. Yeah. And I could never get around. So it's the one where you're in like the big mech suits mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with the two guards with, with... Were they actually, or is that just... It was our friend on Twitch. Biggs that... and Wedge, I believe. Is that actually their names? Yep. I couldn't remember if when we were watching our friend play it, if he just re redid it. Okay. It's a Final Fantasy trend that they put Biggs yeah. and Wedge in a bunch of their games. All right. I'm not going crazy then. No, it is their actual names. Yeah. I, I, I'm pretty, pretty sure it's their actual names. Because I know that they are in a lot of Final Fantasy games, and I remember them yeah. in this game. Other things I remember about this game. Because I agree. I remember Terra. I remember that opening sequence very vividly. Mm-hmm. This isn't the game itself, but there's so much game art around it that I've seen all over that is just beautiful. So there's really? art books about it. There's, If you have a chance to look it up, Brian, there's some gorgeous... Because like, Final Fantasy always does that really high fantasy art that they'll release yeah. in the like, guidebooks yeah. and stuff like that. But they've done full art books of it. Yeah. And it's just... Everywhere and gorgeous. Gorgeous. And I remember that sticking out because I, I, when I played it again in college late enough that I knew people mm-hmm. who loved the game and they're like, look at this. And I was like, oh, this is so pretty. And it's so funny because then you see them in like 8-bit, like 16-bit, yeah. like really cheesy. Whereas they have these gorgeous images uh, in the game, of the game, I mean. And it, it I, that always stuck out to me um, as a very... Just it just the it made the characters more real to me was looking at those art pieces and seeing how pretty those art pieces were. Yeah, that is that is really cool. I remember. I mean, the music is everywhere for this game too. Oh, the music, and like, it's funny you talked about it in I think our Final Fantasy V episode that you're like this yeah. feels like a knockoff of six when of course five <laughs> came first. But the music is just standout. This is the game I know that broke through in North America. This is the game yeah, that grabbed North absolutely. America's attention. I think, for me, one of the main reasons and what stuck out to me in this game of why it was so pivotal, because I think a lot of people feel this, villains are so important in games. And a lot of media yeah. in general. When the villain, you talk about Die Hard, while you know the main characters are just important, Hans Gruber is just as important. That's the same in video games. Kefka is such a cool villain. He has a maniacal laugh that even though there's no audio, you know exactly what it sounds like. And he's just so ridiculous and over the top and his lines are ridiculous and just megalomaniac level. And it's amazing. <laughs> and he stands out. He's such a character and more so, in my opinion, than any villain we've seen so far in the Final Fantasy series. He Probably. stands out. So even yeah. even when I first played this game, I'd played it post-playing Final Fantasy VII and Eight and Nine, actually. Uh-huh. And he just was, I was like, whoa, Kefka's a <laughs> boss. Like, <laughs> Sephiroth is really cool, but he's like almost too much of a pretty boy in my mind. I'm like, oh, he's a mama's boy. It's really freaking annoying. Yeah, yeah. Like, mama's boy, <laughs> Sephiroth is. But Kefka's a freaking boss. And uh-huh. he's just... He is so iconic in in this role. And I feel like that's also what helps make this game stand out so much was having mm-hmm. a villain like Kefka. Because yeah. he sticks with people. He's what reminds people of this game is Kefka. To me, at least. Yeah. No, that's fair. I, I'm i trying to remember the mechanics. It was ATB, obviously, yes. like the last game. 
It is, I'm pretty sure it's visible in this game. So the other thing I remember about the mechanics of this game is you change parties a lot. I do remember that, where your party was constantly, it, constantly it was, shifting. It, it's, I think, one of the reasons, to me, Kefka stands out more than the main cast, because you're switching and <laughs> rotating more through the main cast so often. I, I didn't mm-hmm. feel the attachment to these characters the way I felt to Kefka, because Kefka was always there. And yeah. You have so many characters. I want to say you have at least, like, eight or nine characters you're shifting through it's it's more than that if nothing else and again this is kind of cheating because we were watching our friend play on twitch and trying not to pay attention but pay attention at the same time yeah and there's a bevy of characters there's so many and and so there's certain points where you can't use everyone but then there's a lot of other points where you have to divide your party and be like this group goes this way and this group and it's it's whatever you want you can choose yeah who goes in what party and Playing this game in a modern enough era that I had internet access was huge because I yeah. needed so you help. Could look at you could look at guides. Yeah. I didn't know who to send what way because I'd yeah. be like, I don't want to accidentally send a character that I'm missing out on something that only this character can get down this pathway or something. I mean, that's what it's what guidebooks were for. Exactly. One hundred percent chance. If we played this game when we were kids, we would have bought the guidebook for it. I mean, it. For, to be fair, modern, I buy every Final Fantasy guidebook. Not because I need it, but because I want it. I still have the Final so Fantasy pretty. VII guidebook. I hate you for that. I want it so bad. <laughs> Are you trying to get the four crystals again? I don't remember. I don't think so. I don't think there are four elemental crystals in this game. I think they finally have worn out the crystals in this game. I'm not positive about that. Don't quote me. It's got to be something with the espers, right? Yeah, it's the espers, not the... It's probably four espers. God damn it. (laughs) No, but I mean, it's funny. We don't have a ton of memories of this game, but I have... It's one of those I know when we start playing, I'm going to be like, right, this. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, this. And that's why we tried... I tried really hard not to actively watch our friends on Twitch play this game. So I was like, oh, you're going to stir so many memories I don't want to hit yet because we hadn't recorded this segment yet. Yes. I thought I had played it more than I did, and now that I'm thinking about it, it must have been I just kept trying to start games. So that's the thing is, I don't know if I ever finished it. I don't know if I've beaten I certainly didn't. I think I've gotten... I've definitely dedicated a significant amount of hours into this game. I don't think Mm. I finished it, which in these kind of games, that's not, not surprising, but in a, it's, it's, there's a lot to do. And so I probably got overwhelmed and was like, I feel like this is a long game. Yeah. And then never finished it. (laughs) I know that there's magic and tech in this world, which isn't always the case. Cause again, you start in that suit of armor. The suit of armor is very iconic to be fair to this game. Um, So Terra in particular being in that suit, the mech suit is huge, but there's magic involved in that. Well, that was, that was the big thing like that. She actually knew magic as opposed to just the magic, magic tech or whatever that anyone could use. Right. So, there's not a lot I remember this game. It's more of the hazy memory. And I think the interesting thing is now that we've played all of the older Final Fantasies, some of that I'm I'm wondering is influencing my memory of like right. the eight sixteen bit Final Fantasies all merging in my mind because it's been so long since I've played this game. But I do remember enjoying it. I remember going to play it because I liked Final Fantasy and it lived up to mm-hmm. those expectations for sure. It was a Final Fantasy game that I really enjoyed playing. So I know it's tough, but Chris, what is your rose-tinted score for Final Fantasy VI? 
I mean, I guess an eight. I didn't really. Again, I don't remember playing as much. I I played the first three or four hours probably like a half a dozen times. I know that because I kept trying to get into it, would forget what was happening, restart. Yeah. Thirty go to ten. What about you? What was what was your rose score since you've played it more than I have? I'm gonna give it a seven because I think I was harsher as harsh as I tend to be on this podcast, apparently. <laughs> I think I really too directly compared it to seven, eight, nine, which were just That's so fair. significantly different. They were yeah. a, a modern era. And so I think probably I mean it if I'm being generous, it's probably six to seven. I'm going to give it a seven because I think I like the mm-hmm. plot and the idea. And get Kefka. I don't know why. Yeah. I like villains. Kefka's fun. <laughs> and and he probably ups it for me. So I have to give it a seven because I think I very closely associated it with those more modern games. And I wonder if in perspective I will be able to compare it to the older games and see the improvements. But we'll see. Yeah. I would give it a seven. What is your predicted score, Chris? I am predicting that I will give it an eight and a half because we've seen massive improvement through the series, Mm -hmm. I feel like, for the most part. And this one just has so much cultural momentum with it that I I think it's going to be an eight and a half. Okay. What about you? What do you think you're going to give it after we play it again? I'm going to be mean and say seven and a half. Oh, because I think that the cultural expectations are going to be too much. It's going to weigh on it too much. And I'm going to expect too much of it. And again, I was really surprised by some of the older Final Fantasy games. And this one, I think because I have such a higher expectation of it, it's not going to live up Mm -hmm. to that. So while it might have a higher score than those, I don't think it will be significantly higher than I expect it to be. So putting it at the seven and a half. That's where we're at. I had a rose-tinted score of 7 out of 10. Chris had a rose-tinted score of 8 out of 10. Predicted scores, we each went up half a point, where I was at 7.5 out of 10, and Chris was at 8.5 out of 10. We will see how the game actually lives up. So let's play that Chi Ocarina of Time and go back to the present. Looking forward to it. That music means we're back from the past, back in the present, ready to talk about the game after we finally have been able to play Final Fantasy VI. So, Chris, this is going to be a tough one. This is going to be very, very condensed, everyone. Tell me a little bit about the plot of Final Fantasy VI. And there is actually a plot, unlike the last couple games that we played, where I just said, the plot, there is no plot. There's a lot of plot. And it doesn't involve... Elemental crystals for the it first time. You're not collecting <laughs> elemental crystals. There Which are... we called correctly in the rose section. <laughs> there are three statues, but you don't have to collect them. They're just mostly in the same place. Yeah. And they're not element-based, so... Yeah, they're not element-based. So, plot. Gonna do plot. a very, very high-level overview. There's so because much to this game, There's guys. so much, and I definitely remember most of it. <laughs> Go. And I'm making Chris do this because, spoilers, I didn't finish the game. That's fair. And this was the first time I had gone through the entire game. Yep. Spoilers. <laughs> so the background is thousands of years in the past, there was a what they call a War of the Magi, where uh, these three beings, entities, would force people into 
they would force magic into them and turn them into what were called espers. At some point, these three beings realized that they were wrong. They freed the espers and sealed their own powers inside of three stone statues just in case nothing, you know, so no one could get them. The espers then realized they couldn't really get along with humans, so they blocked themselves into their own little world, and that's how it stayed for 8,000 years. We get into the story kind of in, in media res, uh, where a, we're with a girl who doesn't know her name. All we know is that she actually knows magic. This is where we get our now obligatory Biggs and Wedge. Biggs and Wedge, that's right. Just two ancillary characters that were there for about two seconds. It's all <laughs> I remembered of the original playthrough that I did. You find out that this person's a magic user. You find an Esper. Magic happens. You find out that there's an empire that's trying to collect espers. Girl doesn't have any memory. Ends up in essentially a resistance. Uh, what do they call them? The Returners? The Returners. Yes, that's right. Who are fighting against the empire. You meet a whole bunch of characters that are trying to fight against the empire. You sabotage the empire. Stuff happens. Uh, at some point, the vizier to the emperor... Kefka, which we talked about. Kefka! Kind of shows his hand and... The Emperor basically realizes he was wrong for trying to bring this magic back into the world and for right. and trying to drain the magic out of Espers because they've leaked back into this world, they, that they've been draining them secretly, and he's realizing it's wrong of him for having done that. And so he starts basically being like, we need to stop doing this. And so yeah. his vizier, Kefka, is like, nope! Or as, as the kids like to say, nah, fam. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an old man. Nah, fam. <laughs> Why? Why did you do that? <laughs> so, Kefka uses his magic, essentially overthrows the emperor. He starts absorbing espers. Espers, when they die, they turn into magicite, which is how you kind of get that It's magic. like the precursor to materia. Yeah, pretty much. And... Then, all of a sudden, you essentially flash forward, like, ten years? Yeah, it's something like that. It's it's something, you go from what's referred to, I don't think it says it anywhere, colloquially, in the gaming world, you go from the world of balance, which is the normal time frame, to the world of ruin, where essentially a cataclysm happens, the entire map changes, everyone's worshipping Kefka, he's taken over the world, You your entire party which you gain up to at that point, which is a lot of characters, Yeah, is split up. you got to refind your party. You can... I don't even think you have to, but you get you get a core party, you find the rest of your party, you go fight Kafka, and win the game. You essentially destroy magic? Yeah. Well, yeah, but part of that is Tara, you find out, because she's a magic user, she, in fact, is half Esper. Oh, yeah, I That is about kind that of an part. important detail. She is half Esper. Yeah. So she she's reacting weird throughout the whole game of like she turns into this other creature because she's half Esper and has yeah. magic. That's why she's allowed to use the magic. All the Espers do team up with us at various times of like, well, you're at least trying to do the right thing. So we will sacrifice ourselves. Basically, that's how you get a lot of a the Espers of them, early yeah. on here, earlier in the game. By the end, you basically say, yeah, the magic is gone by the end. And Tara has to decide if she wants to stay human or not, which she does, I believe. Yes, at the she end of the game, somehow falls. Spoilers! 
Spoilers. Spoilers. Yes. She she has enough of an attachment to the world that she decides to stay with the humans. Yes. And make herself fully human. And that's that's the end of the game. So really quick plot summary for once, because Chris is better at summarizing than I am. I tend to get a little into the details. I, there's a lot of details, and it's a really good story. And I had to remember a lot of it because we played this game over three months because we knew it was going to take us a while. But what happened, at least for me, was I started playing, put in a good, solid couple weeks of playing, and then I had to take a break to finish our last couple episodes worth of games, and then came back like three oh weeks God, later. Oh, God, what happened? And I was like, I think I know where I am. Yeah. So how many of the 14 characters can you name? Oh, okay, let's see. Um... I can't name them, so... I'm it's, gonna... it's funny because I literally brought up another page because I knew I wasn't going to remember all of them. Yeah. There's Locke, there's Tara, there's mm-hmm. Edgar, there's mm-hmm. Mog, there's Gogo, there's... Uh, what's the Yeti's name? Umaro. Mm. There's Celeste. Mm-hmm. There is... You're you're missing. So, do you want clues? Tell me when you want clues. Yeah, there's the spoilers. Edgar's brother. I'll say brother I of Edgar. Everywhere. Sabin. Sabin. Thank you. Feral child. No, I don't remember her name. Gao. It's a dude, I think. Oh, I thought you were talking about the magic one. Yes, Gao. The fair. Yeah, feral child. There's yeah. the ninja shadow. Shadow. Yep. And his dog. Do you remember his dog's name? Oh, I don't remember the dog's name. Interceptor. Oh, I love the doggo. Yeah. You're thinking of, I think it's like Realm. Yes, Realm and her grandfather is... Now I'm actually going to bring up the character page. Strago is what I'm seeing. Okay, yep. He's the blue mage. So I think that's it. No. Oh, no, we forgot Setzer. Setzer. Setzer and... Cyan. And Cyan, yeah. Because Cyan's the worst. Because Setzer made me think of um, like Stray Cats. Yes, and... and Brian Setzer. And Cyan's the worst. Yes, Cyan is the worst. Fun fact about Realm, we learned from one of our regulars who said that there was a storyline that they didn't get to or kind of cut out was that she was supposed to be Shadow's child. You can, it's sort of there. It's, they like allude to it, but like there was apparently the, yeah. more background that they they were going to add that they didn't, that confirmed she is in fact his kid. So like late game... That's one thing you can explore a lot of the backstories. And yeah. if you look at Shadow's backstory, it very, very heavily alludes that Realm is Shadow's daughter. Because mm-hmm. you see also Interceptor really loves Realm. And she's the only one that, or yeah, she's the only one he like accepts. Interceptor yeah. hates everyone else, except for Shadow. Interceptor's my favorite. I loved Interceptor. He's <laughs> adorable. So yeah, that's the thing about this game. There are 14 main characters in this game you don't have to get all of them in fact there are certain runs that people challenge themselves and say what is the fewest number of party members you can have and still beat the game which i think is kind of an interesting version of a like a challenge for this game is is limiting your party members chrono trigger has a very similar that's how you get different endings in chrono trigger yes and and that's the thing and so this game apparently because i was reading up on this it does change certain ending themes of like if Locke isn't in your party, then like Cyan will be the one who saves Terra or something like like like, like they. Oh, okay. So they and, actually and, yeah, do we'll, change we'll, things. 
we'll, which is kind we, of cool. We can talk about that because I do want to touch on, on that part. Before we dive too much into our opinions and stuff that we thought, let's let's quickly go through the the gameplay. Not super crazy different gameplay from, from previous. Uh, no. It still uses ATB. You can actually see the ATB bar, which you is nice. You can see the ATB bar, which is nice. ATB is, uh, I, I think we struggle Action. to remember, timer. Active Action. time battle? Something like that. So it's it's like the opposite of a chess timer. It shows when the character's turn is going to be. It can essentially go slower or faster based on spells, which can happen in, in other turn-based games. But another thing is you can essentially do nothing while the enemy does something, which is a yes. plot point in one of the early battles... Yes. Because, like, there's the weird lightning snail thing where yeah, you need the big to not thing is do not attack the shell when the head goes away. So mm-hmm. you literally have to sit there and wait, and you don't have to, like, skip a turn or anything. You just wait. I mean, you can, but you don't have to. You right. can defend. You can, you can defend, defend but if you attack it, it will counterattack badly. Real bad. And that's yeah. the same thing when you pick up the party member Gao, you can't hit him. If you hit him, he'll run away. Right. And so you need not hit him so you don't take an action. So the ATB uh, fills up and you just choose not to do an action. So there's an ATB bar. It's still turn-based combat at the end of the day. It's just yeah. based on ATB. It's your classic RPG. You're, you have a big open world. You have party. So there are a lot of split party encounters in this game, which I think is different than a lot of the Final Fantasies we've done up to this point where you, Very have, to, much so, yeah. you have to choose who goes in which party at what times. You have to be strategic about it, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, and there were scenarios where you had to go to this scenario, then this scenario, then this scenario. So you had to choose an order sometimes, and that can be strategic in the order and stuff like that. Or there's the the one battle, the the Kefka at Narsh battle, where it's like the enemies are moving around a grid, and you've mm-hmm. got three parties split up, and you have to yes. switch between them in essentially real time to try to defend the person. So it's like it, it almost turns into a real time strategy sort of situation, right, which they then keep bringing up in later games. You keep encountering similar moments where you have to do similar things in Final Fantasy 7 you have Fort Condor that you do yep. that in yep but it is it's an element that they bring up but it it pops up but it's it's more than that you have the scenarios yeah the parties there's just constantly you have to choose who's going to be in your party yeah and unlike in later games where you had multiple party members but you could just change out a save point in this one you had to maybe go back to wherever your party was waiting for you to change your party member so it yeah. was a lot more stringent on this is your party you can't change yeah so you had to be strategic a lot of times in fairness most of the time it was the airship is where your entire party was it just means you couldn't do it inside a dungeon you would have to completely leave the dungeon there was a very very nice mechanic where you could unequip everyone that wasn't in your party Mm -hmm. which was phenomenal so you didn't have to keep going through because there were things like espers they were new to this game as, as you said, kind of the precursor to Materia, where each person could have an Esper equipped, and that would essentially let them have a summon. Which, by the way, I totally forgot half the time that that was a mechanic. Like, I almost never actually used the Espers as summons. Oh, I was going to say, I don't think I really did either now that you no. say that. I didn't get nearly as far as you again, but uh, uh, my I ended at Act 1. So I didn't, at uh, the time jump is where I stopped. I didn't do the second half of the time jump. I mean, that's a pretty decent uh, chunk of the game. So. Yes. I, I wish I had gotten farther. That's my bad. Yeah. 
life got in the way. Sorry, guys. Yeah. But it is really interesting that that, that dynamic of it, like that you, you can have a summon, but it's part of the espers. It's it's just different. It's different than yeah. the way the summons are handled pretty much in any other version of the game, obviously. And yeah, so the way that that, the, the other half that worked other than the summon that I kept never using was that each esper would teach you magic skills and each one had a different rate of learning. So in addition to experience, you had, I forget what they call like SP, I mm-hmm. think is what they called it. And you would gain SP through battles, and yeah. once you reached 100%, you would learn that magic ability, and right. then, you know, would essentially switch that Esper onto someone else or put a new Esper on them. And the other big thing, which I completely underrated, was most of the Espers had a thing where if you level up with that Esper, it'll mm-hmm. give you a stat boost that you wouldn't normally get right. through normal leveling up. Like, there was, like, extra 2% health or, you know, plus 2 to magic every time you level up when you have that Esper equipped. And that can lead to incredibly broken builds. Like, our friend told us after the game he found out because he was talking about how Gal can just become an unstoppable monster. Yeah. And it's basically if you put this one Esper on him and he'll get, like, a plus 2 to power every single level... By the time you get to the end game, if you equip him with a couple abilities and relics, which are essentially just accessories. I, yeah. I thought that was weird, by the way, that relics weren't on the equip screen. They were on a different... They had their own screen. Yeah. That wasn't true in the Pixel Remaster. They moved really? it, which was super nice. So, oh. a, so I, I played the Pixel Remaster. Right. Um, this is the first time I've played the modern game. Look at that. Right. Uh, where Chris played the older version. I did. I played so, the uh, the one on the SNES Mini. So, And that's pre-Game Boy Advance, yes. because the Game Boy Advance added... Had I think, two extra th- dungeons. Yeah, and a couple extra espers and stuff like yeah. that. So there's a couple of notable changes in the Pixel Remaster, of course. Besides, they kind of cleaned up the graphics. They got rid of a lot of glitches and stuff like that. Yeah. I could run anywhere. I didn't need sprint boots, which oh my was God. glorious. <laughs> that was that's, so annoying. Having to move that relic around to everyone so you moved faster is such a pain yeah. in the butt. I remember that in the original game. I didn't have to worry about that, which is great. Especially in the end game where you have three parties and I only had two sets of sprint shoes. They they had a remastered version of the soundtrack, which was almost like the soundtrack was very similar, but there were just like notes that were like it was it was a revamped version. It was really good. They did a great job on the soundtrack of the Pixel Remaster. It was back. Mm. Nobu uh, came back and did it. So. It's his remaster. Interesting thing was there was a lot more missable stuff in the Pixel remaster, apparently, than the original. When it came to bestiary and trying to get rages, uh-huh. there were missable monsters in the remaster that was or the Pixel remaster oh. that it was like, if you don't get in this one area in the later versions, of, like in the original version of the game and the advanced version of the game, Game Boy Advance, you could it maybe encounter those, encounter yeah. those monsters again later. It, they got rid of that in the Pixel Remaster. So, like, I was reading huh. notes about it, and they'd be like, you have to get it here, or you won't. I wasn't trying to 100%, so I wasn't necessarily going out of my way all the time to get those, unless it was a particular one that I knew was going to be really helpful to power up Gal. Right. But that was it, they, they that made it slightly tougher. That They did take away that, like, you cannot actually get certain monsters. It made it a little bit tougher hmm. to do that 100%ing, essentially. 
So another big thing with the espers, like I said, the relics can be equipped where the rest of the equipment was, which was super convenient. The menus were just cleaned up, which was great. That's, it was a lot nice. smoother, which is the other reason I think that the speed run is about 20 minutes faster because it's so much easier to equip stuff and do it. The other thing is the espers tell you when they 100% because there's a little star next to their name, which is just those little modern things of hey. like, yeah. it's so nice that you're like, oh, look, they're 100%ed. I can move that on now. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's so much easier when you start getting it. It's tabbing. There's a lot of things. Of course, there's, you know, quick save options in this, you know, which right. is, there are a lot of little things here and there. The other one I will note that we talk about when we're remastering the looks, the opera. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't stream most of this game, and I apologize for that. Boo. I did Boo. stream. I did stream the opera. Please go watch that because it is so different than the original. They redid it, so it's this like massive 3D castle. I'm like, this is supposed to be in a theater, and yeah. it looks like a legit castle they've built. That's amazing. It's so ridiculous. It's fully voiced, so they're singing. Ooh. There's actual really not good singing going on. Apparently, they have singing in five different languages available if you want. Oh, my God. Like, it's something. I was like, oh, my God, this is way over the top. So that was actually a really entertaining change that they made. That's great. There's a lot of little things. Again, we, we talk about it all the time. The quality of life changes. It absolutely is part of the Pixel Remaster. They did a great job. As far as everything I saw, there are a couple things here and there I think they could have either cleaned up or maybe left the way it was because people wanted, loved that authentic value of it. But overall, I think they did a great job on the Pixel Remaster. Other character mechanics that go across both versions of the game. Yeah, so you talked about Gao yes. and, and his... I'm going to get you to describe Gao real quick. But each of these characters had a like a secondary ability which, which we've seen say. in older yeah. other final fantasy games that these, these special abilities that come with certain characters that this has continued into this game yeah and just the depth of it though and the uniqueness of it so talk about gao at first because that's that's kind of a crazy one so gao is a version of not quite a blue mage but almost like the blue because you actually get a proper blue mage later. Yeah, in the because game. Strago is the the blue mage enemy. The skill proper material. blue mage enemy yeah. skill material. But that's essentially what Gao is as well. But it's a, the only difference is for Gao, you can he is a feral little child you find in this area called the Velt. You don't get experience for fighting anything in the Velt, which is a right. freaking pain in my butt. You get the <laughs> you get the magic experience, so you can level up your espers, but you can't level up. I did, at least in the Pixel right. Remaster version. Yeah, and, and you get money, too. And you get Gil. He, the way the Gal works is to get the skill from the, the particular enemies is he leaps at them, and he mm. leaves your party temporarily. And yeah. then you have to keep continuing around this area, and then you'll beat another set of enemies, and he'll pop back and be like, I'm your friend. I come back. And then he has gained the skills of any monsters that he could from the, the party he attacked in the first place yep. and then that he came back from he'll get those skills as well came back to sorry yeah. the party he came back to he'll also get those skills as well and so that's how he developed and then what you do the difference between him and like a traditional blue mage is he doesn't just use one skill then switch to another skill per battle you can only become you basically become one type of monster yep and so you have to choose and so there are some really op style monsters one specifically Oh, God, that you have to go. This is the notorious, <laughs> there's a stray cat. So with the Velt, the way, so you don't get an experience, as you said, every enemy that you have encountered, for the most part, in a, any every enemy that you've encountered in a random encounter, yes, up to 
whenever that point in the game will show up in the Velt. Yes. And that's why that's where I was coming into where, I, like I said, if there's missable monsters, if you don't encounter them in certain zones where the only place you can encounter them, they will never appear in the Velt, which means you will never get that skill. Right. Which is a really interesting... That's why, like I was saying, in the Pixel Remaster, there's a lot more times you can do that with some mm-hmm. really powerful monsters uh, that you really want to get those skills from. So it's really interesting. It also means when you're fighting in the Velt, getting no experience, it's a really crapshoot of who you're fighting. You'll have these really easy battles and suddenly these really tough battles, these yeah. really tough encounters. You just have to deal with them. I mean, you can run from them, of course, but like it is, it, it's it's a really crapshoot there. So it's a really interesting concept that there's just this whole area of basically every random encounter you've ever had in the game. Right. And the stray cat. The stray cat... <laughs> is another not quite missable because you can meet him again later but if yeah. you want to get him in the right timing you have to hit him then when you find the belt it is just this cat and it has scratch i believe it's main attack it's and like it's cat just scratch yeah cat scratch it's like the most op physical attack for gao at that point in the game mm-hmm. for a significant portion of the game so it's not even like just for like a 10 minute period like it's a good chunk of the game that this is his most powerful physical attack that he will get and so everyone's like, if you're playing Gao, you need to get Cat Scratch. You need, you need to, get, to find the yeah, Stray Cat. Yeah, you need cat. to find the Stray Cat. And you need to do it pretty much as soon as you get Gao. Yeah. Because if you keep going, you're going to run into more random enemies, which means there's going to be more enemies you could run into in the Velt. Which so means it's, like, it's harder to find it. Which is harder to find. Even then, I think, what, it took me two and a half hours yeah, luckily three for hours me, to find a stray cat. Yeah, luckily for me, it only took about an hour. It only took me about That's an hour nice. to find a cat, the stray cat. Notoriously, like we've watched the this is random number god at its yeah. worst. That you can just it's nothing. You can't do anything. There's nothing you can do to attract the monsters that you want. It's just random luck. And so people will talk about it. We watched one of uh, uh, one of our other friends was streaming it and trying to find it. And I think it took him like two and a half, three hours to find the stray cat. It, it was more than that. It was like two days. It was like of two streaming. Days. <laughs> but yeah one of our other friends yeah. talked about how one of the fastest he's ever gotten it was in counter five which is yeah. so so unfair because it takes so much long but so it, it's really it can random number gods can be very much against you yeah very much so, against you and that's I, I think you said this when you select that creature that's for the entire battle Did yeah you, you can't switch yeah. yeah you cannot switch through the entire battle so that can be both good and bad good you don't have to worry about like choosing what that character does bad yeah. If you chose wrong, which I would do a couple of times. So when I had Gao one time, I wasn't thinking and I did the Hill Gigas, which has a really powerful uh, magnitude eight attack, which is an earthquake basically. And it knocks mm-hmm. out at that time, pretty much every random encounter you deal with. It can deal 800, 900 damage. Yeah. I accidentally did it when it was all flying enemies. Don't. Which means he ain't going to do crap. Uh, you could, you could kill him. I'm not gonna. I don't want to kill my own. Type. I just rather him do nothing and have the other nah. teams kill him. But the point is, you do have to be careful about that. You have to be strategic and remember because in his rages, it's only listed as the monster name. So you have to remember what the monster yeah. did. Which I didn't always remember. I'd be like, random. I don't remember what you did. Click oh, it. I literally only use Stray Cat. I use Stray Cat, Hill Gigas, Moo, M U. Moo, yeah. Because he did this. He has this one thing where he could just make you disappear. Right. Which is fun. So those were the three main ones I did with him. But there were a couple other really powerful ones as well. And especially later game, he could, again, he can get real OP if you build him up correctly. Yeah. His secondary ability was very similar in nature-ish to uh, Mog. Yeah. Who is, I guess, kind of an optional character. You got to go find him. 
Yeah. Well, a lot of them are optional, to be fair. Well, that's true. And his thing was dances. And so you would have a different dance based on a different terrain. And that was to get him to learn those different dances. You had to fight on a given... You had to win a battle on a given terrain. And he would learn a set of skills based on that terrain. Yeah, his his dances remind me a lot of the Geomancer job class. Very much the Geomancer. But again, it was kind of like the Rages where you just set that dance and it wouldn't change. One, it would change the terrain that you were fighting on. Probably. I think there was like a the there are a couple one exceptions. In, one in five chance that it wouldn't work, which I thought was hilarious because he just kind of twirls around and falls on his face, and oh, you have Bob. to try again. <laughs> but that was that was interesting to try to collect all of those. Also, I kept calling him Moog. Yeah, cause because because Moogle or Moog, as in the synthesizer company. Other secondary abilities, of course, they're steel. So you have your thief or treasure hunter as Locke likes to call himself he would steal he was pretty much only good for stealing let's not kid ourselves yeah an interesting character we talk about Edgar who's the king of Figaro he had tools and so he had some you could buy tools along the way and so there's some really powerful things like auto crossbow and then chainsaw auto crossbow which was a AOE yeah so again as you said some of these were incredibly overpowered especially at the certain points in the game early in the game they were super helpful Sabin his brother did blitzes yep and you had to put in this was a fun one you had to put in a button pattern to get the blitz and so I was playing as I played the pixel remaster I was playing on my computer so it was like computer key-ins so that was kind of fun but pixel remaster another nice thing was if you screwed up the first time you had one second chance to try it again so you (laughs) really that is incredibly handy uh i did i didn't mostly because i kept it to the really basic ones but i mean there's like three that you really care about like there's the one where it's like a hadouken there's the uh aoe attack and then there's the one that you learn late game and of course there's the very famous he gets to suplex a train. He suplexes a train. And <laughs> we talked about it, I think, in the last episode. Yeah. I talked about the notes. Is the, the early trailers didn't show him the train didn't flip upside down, which that's what a <laughs> suplex is. You slip, flip your enemy upside down, and it didn't. And people were very upset because it's so ridiculous that someone can flip a train upside down, but yeah. that's what they loved about it. And then suddenly they were like, oh, yeah, he can't. He can't do. He doesn't do that in the in the pixel remaster, and people flipped out. And basically, Square had to come out and be like, "This isn't the complete version, and it will be corrected by time <laughs> it gets there. Don't worry about it." And it was. I, I when I played that, I was like, "Oh yay, suplex a train!" <laughs> so, so those are just some of them. Again, there's magic involved for like obviously our magic users have magic style secondary abilities. We're not going to go through all of them. Again, there's 14 characters. We do not have yeah. time to and talk about everyone's secondary unique. ability. But this is a lot of them were coming into the the job classes. So there weren't job yes. classes that you could choose in this game. This is another game you go back to everyone's kind of preset as something. So yeah. each of their secondary abilities was basically one of the different job classes we had encountered along the way. This game is something you can find the party that best fits your style of play, which I always find really nice. You have to use a lot of party members at various times, so you can't only use those party members, but you can really specialize in certain party members who are your style of play, and and that's always a really entertaining way of playing. So yeah, each of these characters, they they were unique characters, which I really appreciated. Again, I feel like this game... There was so much more personality in this game than the last couple of Final Fantasies. Like five was definitely a cha- as, you know a changing point. We started seeing more and more, but yeah. again, 
in this game, we didn't have the stupid elemental crystals we are finding in every other version <laughs> of this game so far. Each of these characters were had these backstories, and some of them were the tropey backstories. The king who's trying to save his people, who's reluctant, the the one who gave up the throne. You have, you know, the mm. person who's turned away from, you know, their their mistakes in the past with Celeste. You have the girl with amnesia, with Terra. Like these are tropes along the way, but they each had really strong characters to them. They had stories that you got attached to, and I, I really appreciated that about this game. Some of them were absolutely brutal too. Like Yeah. Cyan's backstory where his his wife and his kid are killed when Kefka poisons the village. And then you go onto like a ghost train. Yeah. This is the thing that happens. And he sees them boarding the ghost train. To go to the to the afterlife. To the afterlife. And it's just like, oh my god. Well, at least they went to the afterlife. That's true, but like you must be happy. Ugh. And then later you go into his soul. Because that's a thing that happens. His dream that's soul. one where I, I actually had to draw a map because that got real confusing. I got posted that on Instagram. I did draw a map of his soul. That's the the map. The map that's in the kitchen. Yes, that's the map of his soul. It's a man's soul. You left the map of a man's soul in our kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> but then, like, he sees his wife and kid again, and it's just like, oh, bye. She's like, I mean, he doesn't say it that flippantly, but... Or Locke's backstory, where, like, his girlfriend goes into a coma. Yeah, and then doesn't remember him. doesn't remember him and disowns him because her dad doesn't like Locke, and then gets killed. And then you revive her. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, I'm gonna go and turn into an esper to help you. Yeah, bye! And it's just like, oh my god! There's, there's sadness. In a lot yeah. of places in this game. <laughs> I mean, that's Final Fantasy for you, though. Well, and, that's true. It, and more so, like, everyone's an orphan in early games, if you remember. Mm. Like, mm. everyone's an orphan. Later games, you know, they kill off characters. I didn't rejoice when characters died. I want to correct the storyline that everyone kept saying <laughs> I was happy about that. No, I was not happy, but then they ended up coming back, so it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, I don't think there's really... there's. Uh, Technically, two characters that can die in this game. There's one that you play for a while, and he actually gets killed. Um, is that Leo? General Leo? Uh, General Leo, yes. Yeah. He's a guest uh, character. Yes, he actually is. Every other character you can essentially get back, except Shadow. You have the chance to lose Shadow. I think that's right at the end of the first act. Because it's like you've got a timer to run away. Spoilers. Uh, on this, on this a, a you know, ten year game, but <laughs> you're running away from something. You've got like old game, Almost. whatever. Yeah, God, that's true. <laughs> it is. It's nineteen ninety nine, ninety four. Sorry, nineteen ninety four. God. Oh no! It's so it's more than twenty. Almost, almost 30. A thirty year old game. Almost a thirty year old game. <laughs> he sacrifices himself, and you've got to run away in in like a certain like five minutes. If you don't get to the airship, then you die. Yeah. You literally have to wait until, like, the timer is almost up, and then Shadow shows up, and you just kind of drag him onto the airship. If you leave without him, if you don't deliberately wait at the exit until the timer's almost up, you lose him, and don't get it back. I think he's replaced by a different character that essentially has the same thing, but it's not Shadow. It's weird. Yeah. These, these uh, games. Our, our friend... 
told me about that. I, one of our longtime Listeners. followers on on Twitch and and listener, he was essentially my guide when I was playing. He was your walkthrough. He loves through. this. He was my walkthrough, but he didn't really tell me. He would just no. I he liked he watching you it. suffer. He did. He would make sure I wasn't wasting my time. Yes. So he would be like, "We're missing something that's unmissable." Yes. Yeah. There was at least once where he was like, "Stop! Stop! There's a really good item in this room. Don't leave." Yeah. And he would try to give hints. Most of the time, I got them. Sometimes he was being not subtle. Sometimes he was being too subtle. So, so thank you, John. By the way, for just yes. Say, thank you, John. Oh God, I would not have beat this game. I mean, I would use a guide, but it was way more fun that way. This is a reminder: join us on Twitch for streaming. Yes. GWGW show at Twitch. Thank you, everyone who helped Chris out. It was really entertaining to see all the people helping Chris along the way and criticizing oh, him as he so went. so much help. <laughs> but he got so much help. It was great. Thank you. Join us. It's, we really do appreciate when people help us out. And vague clues are the perfect way of doing it. Don't tell us yes. what to do, but make sure we don't do something stupid. Um, right. This game, another thing that I remembered from when we played through this game, outside of character mechanics, but speaking of the instinct of RPG players to just open every box in this mm. game, there are certain chests early on. You should not open yeah, because they I, get I that up. better. If you yeah. wait, there's two evolutions of the items. If you wait, mm. they can be much more powerful items later in the game. And that's something, again, if you don't think about it, you just open it that first round, you'll get fine items. Yeah. But if you wait, until later in the game, they turn into better items. And that's really funny, too, uh, to me. That like, was, they, that they're was a... screwing with RPG people. So we can't keep going into this. We, we're, we're, we're so far in. <laughs> Let's talk about how we actually felt about the game. I love the game. I mean, I knew I was going to really like the game. I think I was worried about it. I really enjoyed the game. I wish I had been able to play more. That's more on yeah. me. I had life get in the way. But I really love the game. I'm going to keep playing. Maybe I'll stream more of it. But it, it is so much fun. It's a game that so many people have such great memories attached to it as well. I think that's why we got such a positive response on streaming on Twitch. Yeah. and on Twitch was because it is one of those games. It's just it's fun. It's this is one. Of, this is the kind of RPG that feels more natural to me. Of like it makes sense. The mechanics make sense. I yeah. don't feel like I was struggling with mechanics in this game like I would have in earlier Final Fantasies. Um, not all the earlier Final Fantasies, but especially those very early games where I just would get confused on the mechanics of like yeah. how do I play this game that I normally know how to play any RPG. This is that game that I came in. And I was like not only because I had played it, but it just it just made sense. It was just smooth and made sense and. Yeah, you had Mog telling you a lot of things as well, which helped. But <laughs> but it was great. I, I loved that, that Mog would appear and be like, hey, guys, here's this mechanic you need to learn. By the way, it was, it was like Toad. Way. Or I guess it, it, that's what Toad was like yeah. in Mario RPG. Exactly. Uh, it was just, it's, it's a classic. And it's so much fun. I really enjoyed it. The music, as I said, I in the remaster, they did have revamped music, which was uh -huh. great. But the original music was great. It, oh, I mean, so many, like the battle theme, the boss theme, absolutely classic music. Yeah. Again, the, the characters in this game felt so distinct and memorable more so than in other games in the series up to this point. Oh, yeah. As I said, in, like in design and mechanics, in and design, like color palette, like yeah, they were they weren't the generic knight. They had character yeah. to them, and they had backstories. People be funny. Kefka's a great villain. He's, he really is. He's so he's got ridiculous. so much personality, and and his 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 
Sprite is ridiculous. Yeah, like, and and I love laugh, his little Sprite. His laugh is so. His good. laugh is so. It's. I mean, it's to the point where. I mean, this is good character building, right? Like at the end of the game, you just hear his laugh, yeah. even if it's SNES like MIDI, yeah, and you know it's <laughs> Kefka, yeah. like. And, and well, it's things like Kefka isn't the type of villain who's I'm so massively strong that no one can defeat yeah. me. You you first battle him, and he's like, oh no. I can't deal with this. I'm, Bye. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> he leaves. I I love that about his character. I love that yeah. he has a personality and it's he's evil. I'm sorry if people misunderstand that I love him because he's a villain. <laughs> he's awful and he kills a lot of people and it's not a good thing. The sprites were so emotive. Like yes! his laughing. I feel like Cyan was a big one whenever he looked surprised. Yes. His eyes got real big like the sprites were incredibly, incredibly emotive yes, for, for being, being just little sprites. Yeah, for being like 32-bit sprites. Yeah, and it's funny, they, the picture remaster didn't really change anything about the sprites except made the colors a little bit more vivid, I think. But that's uh. the thing is, they were good the way they are. There's no reason to improve them. They were just, mm. they had, they were so emotive and ridiculous and fun and... Yeah, it just these characters stood out. Remember, that's why someone like Tara would stand out in your memories, whether you played the game very long or not, because it just yeah. it was a really distinct style character. Locke is being the I'm not a I'm not a thief. I'm a treasure hunter. Like, yeah. you know, Edgar being a womanizing king that happens all the time. But it's just he's it's just fun. Sid was in this game. He was. He was like a mage type person in this game. He was though. well. It's and someone called him Hot Dog Sid on stream, and I. I couldn't not call him that for the rest. He's wearing a hot dog he suit. He does practically. look like he's wearing a hot dog suit. So just it's just like we own that's, a hot dog suit. We do own a hot dog suit. So you can be him for Halloween. That's it. That's what I'll just I'll wear the hot dog suit and be like, no, clearly I'm Sid from clearly Final I'm Fantasy Sid. VI. Yeah, so he's a little bit different than our, our typical Sid. Up, he's not a mechanic like he in almost every other. No, he doesn't have the airship. That was um, Seltzer. Setzer. Thank you, Setzer. I did call him Seltzer all the time. <laughs> it's seltzer even other villains minor villains ultros who you encounter ultros. multiple yep. times through the game is the octopus classic character i remember mm-hmm. him and he stood out and he he pops up in other final fantasy games or more specifically like other square kind of shoot offs of like he just pops yeah. up and it's like it's it's ultros because he is just it's he's uncle so ultros it, it's so he's such a bad villain again of like he's just really <laughs> not good at what he does it's fun and i think that's why this game just really stood out and had fun with it and it never for me. I struggle when I I have to grind too long because I get too bored. It's easier on get, with mechanics like the pixel remaster because I can just do auto battle, which makes it simple. Yeah. But this game, it didn't like the non grinding areas didn't feel like a grind. I there were times in other Final Fantasies where I'm like, oh my god, just get through this battle, just get through this, get through. I never uh. really felt that in this game. I felt like I was like, okay, okay, we're getting somewhere. We always felt like we were progressing and moving somewhere in this game, and it just maybe it's because it was smoother, maybe because it felt more maybe. natural to play it. But I just I never felt held down except for like yeah searching for the stupid tray cat yeah i was gonna say the velt was a bit of a grind the velt was a grind other than that it's so weird because it's i don't remember particularly grinding that much Mm -hmm. but we got to like mid late game and and you were way op i was way op i was just like i don't remember how this happened like i don't think i ran around that much well, i did have to grind i grinded a little bit off stream because i was i i thought i heard something in the last battle it's like all right so you split the party mm-hmm. it was like i had one dedicated party that was a 
very OP, apparently. And I think a lot of that thinking about it was because I was trying to get everyone to learn all the magic, which yeah. just lends itself to being overpowered. Yes. The rest of my, you know, other ten characters were very underleveled. So, you had so to... I was like, all right, I'll get up a second party to a decent level. And then we get to the end game, and it's like, you need three parties. And, and I just you're went, like, oh, no. no. <laughs> so my party yes. comp at the end of the game was was rough. Because I had like one or two, maybe two characters in each party that were good. And then two other characters that were just garbage yeah yeah and so you did have to you did have to do that but i would say in other final fantasies up to this point i kept running away from battles because like i'm tired of yeah. battling i'm tired about yeah. and you kept talking i know mog that has the crazy. ability but mog has the ability to avoid enemies if you, there's a certain item a relic yes. you can equip on mog that you can avoid i didn't at least up to the first half of the game i did not feel inclined to do anything like that i fought almost every battle i almost never ran i again that's i think indicative of how much i enjoyed the game is i wasn't inclined to be like rushing through things as much as i could have our, our friends was like why aren't you using the mod ring it was like because it feels wrong like it's wrong I, to avoid random battles it's weird to not have random encounters in an rpg <laughs> Except the stupid fanatics tower. Yeah. I don't know. Did you get? You didn't get there because you you stopped at world. So it's a, it's essentially a, it's a challenge. It's one of the you know late game side quests. Yeah. The big thing with that is you can only use magic. Mm. And how that works is. Actually, how it works is magic replaces fight, which is the default attack. Interesting. So when I had Gogo, I had taken away his default attack because I just had Mimic. So then I got there and I was like, he can't cast magic. And I was like, uh. Oh, God. uh, So I'd start that over. It was one, start over. Two, I got most of the way up and then got my butt kicked. Yeah, that's Because everyone uses Reflect, which makes it a pain. So I went back, uh, and the third time, you could use relics that auto-cast reflect on yourself, because one thing, unlike Final Fantasy VII, if you cast a spell on yourself and you have reflect, it'll reflect onto the enemy and won't reflect back. So that's a guaranteed way to ignore their reflect, is if you have reflect. Got all the way up to the top of the tower. This is where yeah, fighting our the boss. Yeah, you. this is this is where he he didn't tell me and let me suffer through this. It's it was a learning experience, is is what he called it and what I called it. <laughs> you fight this boss, and when you kill him, he cast Ultima, which I was casting all over the place, which is the strongest spell in the game. Yep, and wiped out my entire party. And it's like, oh yeah, by the way, there's this spell which I knew. I have it. Knew what it did. A spell that automatically will raise a character after they're killed. You essentially have to cast that on someone in that battle because there's no way for Ultima not to kill you. Got all the way up and yeah. So that was... Figured that out. Went all the way back up. Was halfway down. I was just like, I'm fine. I think I was on... This was on stream too. Yeah. I'm most of the way down just kind of smoking and joking and then it was like two in a row cast like Quake or some ridiculous spell. And it was just like total party kill in like two turns. And I just went, 
oh god yeah and that is something that this game would do to you is that random encounters i think kill yeah. me more often in this game than in other games yeah <laughs> like there were some tough random encounters in this game uh and you had to be careful you couldn't kind of sit back on a lot of those random encounters they could be really random but again it kind of adds some spice to your journey yeah um the ending credits were phenomenal so like after you beat the game it shows like the way that they do and they do this because you can rename all your characters all of the all the characters and we joked about this on stream i should have renamed mog into barf from Spaceballs. Yes. Because Barf is a mog. He's half man, half dog. His own best friend. Yes. Um, but they say, you know, whatever you name the character as, and then it gives the character's full name. Yeah. So, like, you know, it's like, this is what his name was actually supposed, supposed to be. Supposed to be the whole game. <laughs> but then it, like, shows a little, you know, vignette of them running away from the last encounter. Because all of your characters are at the last encounter. So it's like, you know, shows a little bit of... of Helping out someone or it contributing to the party as they're running away. But it goes through the entire cast, and then you get to the bottom. So it's like, you know, Mog as Mog. Locke as Locke, whatever his last name is. After they get through everything, and it goes, and you. And I just went, oh, that is adorable. <laughs> Thanks, game. Thank you, game. I did contribute. <laughs> And then it goes uh, in in true old game fashion. After all of the credits are done, even after that, it just says the end on a flying starscape. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. You can't, like, go back to the menu or anything. You you have to turn the system off to get off of the, oh, the end God, screen. God, really? <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. So that's another place where in the PlayStation version, some of those FMVs were updated. And so the characters look really wonky, apparently. Yeah, I, I can imagine. But in general, it was a fun game. They truly appreciated the fans in these games. Yeah. And I can appreciate that. So I think it's time. We've talked a lot. We've talked about a lot of things. Chris, what is your final score for Final Fantasy VI? It's going to be a nine and a half. Like, it's... I was trying to think of, it's like, what's one thing that stands out to you? Or, you know, what made this game so good? And it's, I can't put my finger on anything. It's just such a complete experience of a game. Like, everything is there. The, the mechanics are good. The story is good. The characters are great. It's a gorgeous game at the time obviously it's not like it looks bad now i mean no it's, it's still it's you know it's still fun pixel pixelated is is back in vogue so you know <laughs> the music's good it's it's just a wonderful complete experience of an rpg and it it was great because yeah clearly going through this i'd only played like maybe five hours of this game before just multiple times those first five hours of the game. Yeah. I think my end, my my final run clocked in at, at close to 50 hours. Yeah, that sounds about right. And I was never bored. Like, it it was phenomenal. What about you? What is your, what is your final score for this game? I know I didn't 
finish the game and I only got about halfway through, but I, it was just as good as I remembered it playing it when I, when I played back in college, I just really had fun. I have to give it an eight and a half. I, I really liked it. I, mm. it's, I had to give nine only because I didn't finish it. So that's more on me not finishing it mm. because I, I, the end game stuff is really important and how difficult that gets. And I feel like yeah. I get really angry at some <laughs> of the stuff you did, but overall it just, I agree with you. There was just nothing about the game that made me think, Oh, this is going to kill me or this is boring or this is frustrating. Mm-hmm. or anything like I just really enjoyed myself throughout the whole game and I really enjoyed playing it and that's really important I I didn't feel like it was a chore to play this game which even games I love playing can sometimes feel like when you get to those grinds when you get to those really hard missions that you're just like oh, I yeah. need to get it done so it it can be a struggle this wasn't really a struggle I really liked it so I no. had to get an eight and a half so we both went higher than our predicted scores uh you predicted an eight and a half I predicted a seven and a half so we both upped it by a full point um oh, wow. and this this game really impressed us and I'm I guess I shouldn't have been surprised knowing how historic <laughs> the game is but eh, you know sometimes we don't listen to what other people think that's true I mean I genuinely looked forward to playing this game yeah. And it was it was interesting because I wanted to be able to stream as much of this as possible. And you stream pretty much the whole game. People. I pretty much streamed the entire game. Check them out on Twitch. They're all on VOD yes. still. You can see my run of the opera, which is very different and hilarious because of that. Play this game if you haven't played it. If you love RPGs, you're going to love it. Having yeah. it available now in the Pixel Remaster 4 makes it available for pretty much everyone to play. It's really not that expensive. It's about $15 on Steam. Or you could play it on mobile so you can take it anywhere with you. It's a lot of fun. If you ever played this game before, you're going to still love it. If you haven't played it but you love RPGs, you're going to love it. It's a great game. I really want to play the Pixel Remaster, and I feel like there's zero chance I'm going to have time for you it don't soon. Have time for it <laughs> because we got to start on the next Final Fantasy game that's five episodes away. <laughs> but, but it's 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 but it's the but it's the big game. one. It's the big it's, one for us. It's the big one. So spoilers, as as you heard in our Final Fantasy retrospective, Final Fantasy VII is our like main Final Fantasy game. So yeah, that's probably going to be a super long episode as long as this one is. Oh my god. But speaking of, what is our next episode going to be? Our next episode is going to be Mario 64. Hey, Mario 64. It's me. Mario 64. (laughs) So next episode, Mario 64. Check us out on Twitch as we're going to be streaming this game. Again, twitch.tv slash show. You can also check us out on social media at GWGWShow on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the social medias. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Re- leave us some reviews if you can. Leave us star ratings on Spotify. We appreciate all of that stuff. Tell us to your friends. Hey, let's grow this community. We love having such a community. Reach out to us. We love hearing from you, honestly. That's some of our favorite parts of this. Uh, we had some great reactions to the SimCity episode and post so that's really awesome so we really look forward to hearing from you guys it really makes our day we have another big game coming up with super mario 64 we know it's a really popular one so i'm looking forward to that uh so check us out on the stream big thanks to the producers for keeping us on track making sure we're not making too big of a fools of ourselves huge thanks to all of the listeners all of our watchers on twitch couldn't have done it without you guys it's so great to have everyone to talk to. Can't say enough thanks. We wouldn't be here without you guys. Yeah. It, it makes it so much easier to play these games. We love using you all as our guides because it's more fun oh, that yeah. way. It's interactive. It, it and we definitely get to, is. We get to participate. So 
Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you to our producers. And on that note, say goodbye, Chris. Goodbye, Chris. Bye, everyone. You're welcome. My technological prowess knows no bounds. (laughs) Perfect.